Philippians chapter 4, let us again take a moment to talk with the Lord together. Father, we need you. We pray that you would enable us now as we open your word and desire to know what you're saying. We pray that we would humble ourselves and be responsive to you, that your spirit would teach us and we might draw near to you. And we know when we do that, we know you'll draw near to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a world where political leaders compare the size of their warfare button and athletes pound their chest after they make a good play, the gentle, kind, humble spirit of spirit-filled Christians shouts a different message. We have entered in our study of the book of Philippians into a section which technically is considered the paranasis, which only means this. It is a section, a short section of moral instructions that are applicable to the circumstances. We'll talk more about those structural components next week. But we've, we've entered into this small section from verse 4 down to verse 9 of just a, a, a list of instructions for our daily life that are applying the truths that God has been teaching us through the book of Philippians. Last time we were together, we looked at verse 4, and the call was to rejoice in the Lord. This morning, we have verse 5. That is our text for this morning. is simply Philippians 4, 5. And the call is for us to display an unnatural Christian virtue. The call is for us to display an unnatural Christian virtue. Look what it says in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word translated reasonableness can be defined as what is fitting, what is right, or what is equitable. It's a great term. This is one of those rich terms. If you're a, if you're a coffee lover, this is one of those dark roast coffee blends. Or if you're a tea lover, this is one of those, uh, what do they call them, loose, loose leaf teas. This, this is a good brew, this word reasonableness. It is, it is a rich term and it has a great deal of breadth. So we're going to spend a couple of minutes just considering what the word means so that we will have a better understanding of how this moral concept is applied in our lives. Uh, Richard Mellick, one commentator, wrote this about the term reasonableness. No single word translates epiekes, that's the Greek term for reasonableness. No single word translates epiekes well. And commentators consistently insist that the word contains an element of selflessness. The gentle person does not insist on his rights. It's a key statement. The gentle person does not insist on his own rights. Another commentator, Moises Silva, wrote, 
Paul expects believers to be guided by a frame of mind that does not put priority in personal rights. Personal rights. And, and this is my favorite, right? I'm going to share with you William Hendrickson. He, he was not going to let it go with a simple definition. So here's what he does. He wants to cover all his bases, and he says this. He translates it, let your big-heartedness be known to everyone. For big-heartedness, one may substitute any of the following. Forbearance, yieldedness, geniality, kindliness, gentleness, sweet reasonableness, considerateness, charitableness, mildness, magnanimity, generosity. All of these qualities are combined in the adjective noun that is used in the original. Taken together, they show the real meaning. So he was not going to let one simple term define reasonableness, other translations, moderation, other translations, graciousness. I really like sweet reasonableness. That's a really good term for this. What God is calling you and I to, brothers and sisters in Christ, is a gentleness that is reflective of the very person of Jesus Christ. A gentleness that is reflective of Christ. You know, there are times that strong defense is necessary. Sometimes strong defense is necessary. And in those moments, gentleness might not be the first character trait that comes to our minds. But I will tell you, as a general rule, even in strong defenses, if we will put at the forefront of our strong defense gentleness by God's Spirit, the defense that we offer will be far more readily heard. I invite you to open your Bibles now to Titus chapter 1 that is found in our church Bibles on page 998. Titus chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1, Paul is telling Titus about setting up elders in, in every city that he goes through, and he gives them some criteria for these elders. We're not going to take time to divulge into that particular topic, but one of the elements that is very clear about, about the eldership, the pastor, elder, bishop, that should be evident in their lives is the ability to forcefully, rightly, straightly, and even sharply defend the faith. What it says here in Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, is this. He, this elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, they're empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party or the, the Judaistic party, those that would require law-keeping for salvation. Verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families. Now, he's not just saying, oh, they're, they're really bothered by this. He's not talking about, oh, their, their little feelings are hurt. He's talking about undermining their faith talking about people that take away from and thus eliminate in their teaching the gospel. 
They're upsetting the strengthiness, the, the strength and the firmness, the establishment of the faith inside of whole families. These people, it says, must be silenced. There must be a strong defense. They must be silenced, in verse 11, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. There's a good character trait for you. I'm sure they were happy hearing that. Verse 13, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them how? Sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Not rebuke them sharply so you can win an argument. Not rebuke them soundly so you can feel like you are a moral or intellectual superior. Rebuke them soundly or sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. You're concerned about their embrace and understanding of the gospel and the truth of God's word. Verse 14, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Sometimes strong defense is necessary. In fact, Paul told Timothy as well in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this will be on the, excuse me, chapter 4, it will be on the screen to my right and left. He said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, that means at all times, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate teachers for themselves to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, as for you, and I'd say as for us, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Sometimes strong defense is necessary. That is not in contrast to what we see in Philippians chapter 4 that says, let your gentleness, your graciousness, your sweet reasonableness be made known to all men. It's not in contrast. Because that strong defense is not so we can feel good about ourselves. We are not standing here as those that are championing Cornerstone Church. We stand here as those that champion a Savior. A Savior who laid down his life for us. A Savior who left the glory of heaven and took upon him the form of a servant. Became, he came in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. But not understanding death. A cross death. The death of the cross. He humiliated himself. All while coming to offer himself life to people like me, who Paul would call the chiefest of sinners. God's grace is evident. So in the strong defense, we are not trying to win people to our side. We're not trying to win people to our cause. We're not trying to win people to our church. We want people to know our Savior. And so we strongly bring a defense for their salvation and their good. Secondly, always, always love must be displayed. 
always love must be displayed. Ephesians 4.15 makes it abundantly clear. Paul says to the church, as part of the outworking of the ministry, they should be speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Take a look at James chapter 3. That'll be on page 100, excuse me, 1012. 1012 in our church Bibles. James chapter 3. The word that we see in Philippians chapter 4 is tucked neatly into James' discussion here in James chapter 3. You will find that word in verse 17 of chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 13 for some context because he's talking about the wisdom that should be on display in the, the, the Christian community. The wisdom that should be on display in the life of a believer. And he makes the statement, this question in verse 13, and he follows it up with some great teaching. He says in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But, but, the wisdom from above. Is, when we talk about wisdom from above, now who are we talking about? The wisdom from God, right? Very similar to the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit works in us and, and displays through us things, we're saying these are evidences of God's working, right? The fruitfulness of the Spirit, or the fruit displays of the Spirit. Well, in James 3, he's talking about wisdom that comes from God. So now we're talking about supernatural demonstrations of wisdom that come from God. Verse 17, uh, uh, wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, and here's our word, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God has called us to be peacemakers. You'll remember the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Even when they're reviled or persecuted, he tells us there's, there's a reward waiting. Don't worry. Just keep giving people what they need. We are sowing seeds of the gospel. And the gospel is not just really great words. Like if you want to teach your children stuff, and we all do, we teach them things. And my father was very repetitive when he was teaching me things as a, as a, a young man. Uh, always be at the gatepost waiting. Uh, everything has only so many clicks. All these kinds of great things my father taught me. I remember them because of, of repetition. And most of them I now uh, do but they're not the gospel. Like if I, if I didn't like my father's thoughts on everything has only so many clicks, I would, I would just keep, keep clicking things all the time. Oh, wait a second, maybe I do that. Um, but with the gospel, we're not talking about men's wisdom. We're talking about something that carries in and of itself and from God, divine power. Divine power. The word of God is alive and powerful, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But we'll remember what Jeremiah says about it. Is not your word like a hammer, or like a fire, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Or like Isaiah said, that God's word goes forth, and it always, not sometimes, always accomplishes that for which God sent it. And so we're casting seed. We don't have to fight for it. The love of Christ and the gentle spirit of Christ going with the gospel embodies the gospel. Always love must be displayed. Thirdly, gentleness is a qualification for spiritual leaders. Gentleness is a qualification for spiritual leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 3, that'll be page 992 in one of our church Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 3, page 992. This concept in Philippians 4 in verse 5, let your moderation, let your reasonableness, let your graciousness be on display. Let your gentleness, this is a quality or a qualification of those that are called into spiritual leadership. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle. There's our word. Not violent but gentle. It's the same word used in Philippians 4, 5. Goes on and says, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. It goes down to verse 7 with the concept, not violent but gentle. Gentle is one of the character traits, the qualities, the qualifications of spiritual leadership. Take a look at 2 Timothy now. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You'll find that on page 996 of our church Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verses 24 and 25. Now, before the service, one of our fine folks asked me if they needed a sandwich during, during the message because I've been out of the pulpit for two weeks. And, and I told her no. So I promise you, you don't need a sandwich. We'll be finished in a few minutes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 24, is where we're going to come into this. And remember, what we're talking about right now is the concept that, that gentleness is a qualification for spiritual leadership. Look what he says in verse 24 of 2 Timothy 2. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Correcting his opponents with what? We almost had full participation. We're going to try it one more time. Correcting his opponents with? Gentleness. Outstanding. Gentleness. Why? Because God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Because as we bring forth the truthfulness of the gospel, God honors his word and he honors 
the gospel and God many times will cause that seed to germinate and come to full blossom because he has the power to save. Why are we going to fight? Why are we working so diligently to prove our point when God is capable of proving his? What we want to do, what we must do, is sow the seed, the seed of the gospel, and demonstrate the gospel. If we just sow the gospel in our lives, our attitude, our facial expression, our tone is contrary to the gospel, we are we're defeating our own message. The gospel goes forth in word, and it goes forth in tone. That's one of the reasons why our little catchphrase for the church is preaching the gospel, living the gospel. It must be both. The people around us must see the gospel on display in our lives. And God does his work of bringing people to repentance. Because without repentance, no one, no one is redeemed. We turn from our sin and we turn toward Jesus, the Savior, and God imparts life. This is what he does. Fourthly, gentleness is to be evident in all believers. Gentleness is to be evident in all believers. Titus chapter 3, please, page 998 in our church Bibles. Titus chapter 3. In chapter 2, he talks about the discipleship relationships in the church, how it impacts life in the home and life in the world, and how God's grace has come and it's brought salvation, and it teaches us to wait for Christ and to be zealous for good works. This is what he tells us in chapter 2. He turns into chapter 3, and he makes these very uh, specific and very easy to understand statements for the life of the believer. He says this in verse 1 of Titus chapter 3. Remind them, the people, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward who? All people. This is very easy to understand. And this charge is for all of us. This charge is for all of us to be gentle. Fifthly, gentleness is spirit-produced. Gentleness is spirit-produced. I want to remind you of Paul as he's writing to the Corinthians. Now, you remember the, the, the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. Paul had the responsibility, the burden, to bring forth charges against them. They were not doing well spiritually, and he brought to them what they needed, lovingly, strongly, empowered by the Spirit. He had to correct divisions among them. He had to correct immorality among them. He had to correct problems in marriages among them. He had to correct how they dealt with the Lord's Supper. He had to correct the way they were dealing with their liberty. He had to correct all kinds of things. And some of the people among them weren't very happy with him. Listen to how he addresses them in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
in verse 1. This is on the screens. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. That was probably part of the accusation that they had. Oh, when you're here, you're kind of mild. When you're away, you talk real big. And Paul, Paul's addressing that. He says, I'm coming to you right now. I'm bringing this to you. I'm entreating you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It's not my meekness and gentleness. I don't own it. I didn't figure out how to do it. It is a grace gift from him. He is the possessor of this gentleness. He is the possessor of this meekness. And I, I come in his spirit in letter to entreat you. You see that? Gentleness is spirit produced. One last passage of scripture. Two. We're going to go to Galatians 5, and then we're going to go back to our original passage, okay? Galatians chapter 5, please. That'll be found on page 975 of our church Bible. Galatians 5. You're familiar with this. And what I want for us to notice in Galatians 5, the word that is used in Philippians 4 is not used in Galatians 5. It is not. Three related terms are used, however. Three terms that are kind of like sister or cousin words are used in Galatians 5. So here we are in Galatians 5. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. So you're familiar with this list. I want to point out to you three of these fruitfulness, uh, fruitful elements of the Spirit or fruitful demonstrations of the Spirit. Kindness, goodness, and gentleness. Kindness, goodness, and gentleness. These three terms, while they are not the word used back in Philippians chapter 4, are related terms and really are informing us of what that sweet reasonableness in Philippians chapter 4 really is. Gentleness is spirit-produced. I can't say, all right, read this command now. The guy talked about it for a while up there. He told me what it is. Now I'm going to go employ it. That is not going to work. What we're doing is fruitful. It's informing our minds, and hopefully God's Spirit is informing our hearts, right? And as that takes place, I'll be able to clearly recognize when I am not being gentle, when I'm operating in a different disposition, or to be able to recognize when God is at work in my heart through this. What we need, folks, is to seek, by God's grace, the gentleness that comes from the Spirit. God, make me gentle. May my words be gentle. May my facial expression be gentle. May my body language be gentle. You know, you've talked to someone, and, and I do this occasionally with my kids. Like, I have all the right intentions in my brain, but my facial expression is, is pained, and so they think I'm like, I'm upset with them, and I'm really just trying to, to, to engage with them, and I'm, I'm sending the wrong signal. 
And what we need is for God not only to deal with the right words that come out of our face, but the right expression in our face, and particularly the beam that comes out of our eyes. The eyes are the windows to the soul. You've heard that before. You, you communicate a lot with your eyes. And so we need the Spirit to not just help us with the selection of words, but with tone and facial expression. Head back to Philippians chapter 4. We'll close. Page 982 in our church Bibles. Philippians 4 and verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I have a couple of questions that will help us to wrap this up. Who should our sweet reasonableness be evident to? How do you know? <laughs> oh, because the Bible said it, right? So our, our sweet reasonableness, our gentleness should be evident to everyone. In the church, in our home, at work, in the marketplace, on a mountain, on a lake, wherever we are. Gentleness demonstrated to everyone. What is our motivation for demonstrating this unique disposition? Does the text answer that question? It does. It answers that question too. The Lord is at hand. Now that can either mean he's always present, and that is true, he is always present, but it probably means a lot more than that, that he is coming. He just talked about it in the last chapter at the end. He talked about it in chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse uh, nine or, uh, nine, uh, 10 or 11, and, and he talks about it again in chapter 2, about how Jesus has been uh, lifted up, given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, that, that day is coming. He talks about it in every chapter. He, and, and now he's telling us the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. It just says in the Greek, uh, the Lord near. That's it. No is, it's assumed Near is an adverb. He's telling us that this is an event that's coming. The Lord here. The Lord coming. The Lord soon. The one who displays this gentleness, called for in verse 5, perfectly is coming. Speaking of his coming. Speaking of his coming. This morning, we in a particular way celebrate the gentleness of of our Savior in our worship around the table that he has set for us. He did not hold tightly to his personal rights, but instead laid them aside and laid down his life as a sacrifice, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So the one who calls us to this type of gentleness and supplies this type of gentleness, lived out this type of gentleness, and he is coming. So we will worship our gentle, sacrificial Savior in our communion service. Let's pray. Father, we need you as we reflect upon the truthfulness of your word and the call that you have placed upon those who are yours, that the gentleness of Jesus Christ 
our Lord and Savior, would be on display in us toward everyone because we know the one who has displayed that gentleness most kindly and most amazingly in laying down his life for us to bear our sin and the debt of our sin and the condemnation of our sin and the judgment for our sin. He laid down his life showing us the most incredible kindness and gentleness that we might have life when we call upon the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would humble us, make us in awe of you, of your Son, by your Spirit. May we celebrate the table, the communion service, in a way that brings you glory in a way that edifies each believer and in a way that calls to salvation those who do not know Jesus as their Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.